This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. I thought it would be really fun to post Sarah's episode next because you're going to get total whiplash. After Carrie's energy, Sarah's is pretty much the opposite. She is the third eight we've interviewed that has a tri-type of 852. She has a really calm, slow rhythm to her. She's so different from Carrie that it really does make you question how these two people can both be eights. But what I've started to notice is that across the board, what remains true No matter which of you we interview, there is a groundedness. I'm not sure the element of fire is actually the right element to describe eights. I've come to believe that a better fit is definitely stone. The sense you get is that we're anchored deep, deep into the earth. It's not about stubbornness or rigidity. It has more to do with resiliency, and that's a word that keeps coming up when storm winds whip up. We don't flow around them. We don't flare up into flame. We hunker down deep. And when it passes, we're still the same us. And I think we teach other people how to do the same thing, how to not lose themselves. We teach them how to get their footing, to get good and grounded too. Sarah and Carrie, they're not so very different after all. They're after the same thing. They're going to help their people in their own way, get good and strong so they can weather the storms too. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for getting up really early to be with us. Yes, my pleasure. It's 6.30 your time. Where are you? So I'm in Richland, Washington. I'm on the eastern side. As a tri-type, I'm an 852. I'm an ambervert. So I would say that I really lean depending on what the social norm needs, just whatever the circumstance requires, very interchangeable. I've always been an eight. No matter what test I've taken, no matter what I've read, I have always just been an eight. And How, how long has it been since you've kind of looked into Enneagram stuff? I think I first started looking at it probably six years ago. Wow. You're a veteran. Probably about a decade ago is when I started to have a real transformational inner work. And that's when I started to really find out who I was as an eight. And so the Enneagram was actually a breakthrough moment for me in that. What would you say are some quintessential eight stories? Man, there's just so many... (laughs) I think professionally, when I was less healthy of an eight, especially in my earlier years, I was always in management. I was always the leader and, and it was wearisome to me. I would be weary of always being the one put in charge. But even in my job, you either loved me or you hated me. There was no give or take. It was like, man, you either love Sarah or you you do not like Sarah in the sense of that she's just going to tell it how it is. She's going to be organized. She's going to be on point, but she's going to tell you what needs to happen. And she's going to ask that you fall in line. And that just, it didn't cater to the emotions of other people. And so I think a lot of eights can resonate with that of just like, I don't care about your emotions. Yeah. It's it's not efficient. (laughs) (laughs) It's not helpful. 
it's messy, really lacking some empathy for a different, you know, personality and just saying, hey, we've got a job to do and we need to get it done. So you need to pull up your bootstraps and let's go. Did you Um, relate differently between uh, men and women? Yes. I have always felt like men were easier to understand. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I could never understand because of my own emotional disconnect being led by emotions. And when I saw women led by emotions so strongly, I would distance myself because I'd be like, oh, wow, I I don't know what that is, but I don't want to catch it like (laughs) that. I think I found it annoying. I just didn't have any patience for it. Yes, which was such a miss Yeah, because I missed out on so Mm -hmm. many beautiful friendships. I think that if I'd had the understanding, I wouldn't have felt so rejected in many circles. Do you have good female friendships now? And what is the common link that you think draws these good friendships Mm -hmm. in? So when I was younger, I mostly had guy friends. You know, when you're in health, you kind of are proud of that. And as I've grown and learned, now the majority of my most intimate friendships are all women. Mm -hmm. And they're strong, beautiful women. And they're all walks of life. So I'm not married. The majority of my friends are. I think the common link is that we trust each other. What do you require for that to be in place? Character. Integrity. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just pondering. I think that for me too, a a big part of my female friendships is that people that I would have perceived as weak in my youth, I now have the maturity to see their strengths as just something different than mine. And I appreciate that now. Whereas before I I would miss it. Like you said, it was a missed opportunity. Yes. And really so ignorant and arrogant. I think that's the part where when we all are looking at the Enneagram in the wrong way, And we're labeling people with it, that people look at the Enneagram 8, and I often hear, oh, man, an 8, huh? Kind of like with their eyebrows raised and like (laughs) nodding this knowing nod. And I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Come at me, bro. (laughs) Because they're like, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But now, as, as I look at all the different types, I'm like, man, I need those other types to even learn more about who I am. Yeah, and what they bring to the table. How would you say your five and two shows up? It's so funny because when I was thinking about what Enneagram numbers do I struggle with, two is is one of them. (laughs) Go figure. Um, (laughs) But in my health, I'm often mistaken as a two, not an eight. And so how two shows up for me is I'm a director um, in a youth program and I work with just people from all walks of life and I get to meet them just right where they're at and the two and the caring piece of me and the hey how can we care for you for the whole person that you are from top to bottom that's when my two shows up and is really looking to actually impact the person and their situation as opposed to needing something in return. It comes up in indefinitely my acts of service to community and just loving community well. Have you struggled in the past with being too pushy with your help? I would say it's interesting. Yes, but there was one particular just season in my life where it was a lesson I learned really quickly because I had really good relationships that gave me honest feedback. That helps. And so I feel like I was able to work through that quickly. 
And now it's not that that doesn't sometimes come up, but I can recognize it faster. Yeah, you're aware of it. I think we're characterized as like very stubborn and mulish, but I find eights really teachable. Very teachable, not easy to manipulate. No, that's that's a a really good differentiation. Like if what they're saying, we acknowledge as truth, we can uh, adapt really quickly. We're not going to dig in harder if we know it's not right. We're willing to make the pivot the moment we know it's true, right? Well, and that just that just goes in line with our authenticity, right? Like we just call it as it is. If we believe it, we can shift. Because at the end of the day, we demand honesty. We demand honesty from others and we demand it from within ourselves. And I was thinking about why do I struggle with certain numbers? And it's because when they are in unhealth, they are very deceptive. So what numbers do you struggle with the most? One, two, and seven. That's interesting. Yeah. We, you're the first to say seven. What is it about seven? <laughs> Their avoidance of pain. It's almost like when you talk about reality and if there's pain attached to it, they break out in hives. <laughs> <It's true>. <laughs> <Very>. <laughs> and you're like, I can see you're about to hyperventilate. So let me soften this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I need sevens in my life because I find that I need a person of fun. Mm-hmm. in my life to remind me to go out and do fun things because I get so work focused. But it's that avoidance of pain because I'm very comfortable with pain. Mm-hmm. So when someone is uncomfortable with pain, I'm like, it's hard for me to relate. And then the one you probably relate to all the things we've ever said about one. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes that personality, it's almost like a blank face. And I'm like trying to to know what they're thinking or what they're feeling and and get an honest answer because oftentimes I feel like they're withholding what Mm -hmm. they really think. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm I'm waiting for something that resonates. I'm I'm waiting for something that I think is actually really authentic. Ones when I look at them, like I know instinctually how they feel, but that that, yes, they won't share that. It's usually because they disapprove of whatever it is well, I'm the way doing I've or... heard it explained is <clears throat> they live attached to a scaffolding they've already built that's moral yeah and so what you're sensing is that they're glued like with super glue to the scaffolding but you know that they've pre-decided that that is what's right yeah. and they can't diverge Operate. from Operate. it what's right whereas yeah. we're willing to pivot as something that's more right crops up. Or but I think it's more risky for ones to pivot, right? Because then they become in their minds. It's not safe. It's not, or they're bad. Yeah. Or they're because bad. they're not holding yeah. to their, whatever they've decided their truth or their right and wrong is. Right. If a one sees something messy, it's like you can see them take a step back and walk the widest way around <laughs> yeah. as yeah. possible. In a very stiff way. <laughs> also, what has made me cautious is that If I say something that is truthful, and even in the most kindest way, watching my words, their eyes can get big and their mouth drop open and be like, I didn't agree to this conversation. I need out of the room. (laughs) And so I'm like, I feel like I just crossed something that you didn't want to go to. I'll often say something that I think is true, but I'll do it in sarcasm or something to lighten the mood, right? Right. And I can see it land on them. And it was never intended (laughs) to be cruel, but you can see it lands on them. And the hurt that sits right on them is if you watch, you can see that moment of hurt and shame. Mm -hmm. So much shame. We didn't get around to five. Let's hear about five for you. 
Five comes out in me as a strategist. I need the data. In work, it's interesting, but coworkers would say that that I am very intentional and I will go slow to make sure that things are sustainable for the long haul. And that's the five in me. You gather data before you act? Yes. I think reaction is a trigger word for me. Yeah. When, when I think of somebody reacting to something, I immediately put on the brakes and I stop and take a breath and say, okay, I go into all of the instincts and the, the discernment and say, what am I looking at here? And, you know, is this really the way that we should be going? Is what I'm seeing actually really true? Or is there something more going on? And so that discernment piece and that part of like, okay, well, I want to hear all the different pieces to make a really true and right and valuable decision. Yeah. Have you been as baffled as our other 852s about all the rest of us and our reactivity? I don't know. I'm sitting here baffled a little bit with you and your lack of reactivity. Like the ability to think through before reacting to me is this foreign thing. I think I, I look at that and I, at this point in my life, if I'm really honest, I'm just looking and say, that's just where they're at. And it doesn't spark anything up in me other than how do I care for them in this moment? And that's the two. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. That sounds two. Yep. It's like, how do I care for this person in this moment? Or do I even need to do anything right now? Yeah. It's a pretty reactive world out there right now. Over the last two years, I've really thrived because I am non-reactionary. Tell us more how you've thrived. Well, the five in me, when everything changed in the world in such a dramatic way, the five in me was like, well, before I make an assessment of everything that's going on, I want to know like, what opportunity is this providing for me? What is this really? I could look at people for the answer or I could go inward and say, okay, what, what do I know is true right now? What has not changed? And what do I want to hold fast to that no matter what happens around me, this is what I want to be anchored with? That protected me, specifically my faith. Just being anchored in my faith and knowing who I am and who I am in God it was just like, man, this will always be true, no matter what. I leaned in on that, and I put my eyes on that. So that. that whatever was around me swirling and tumbling and tornadoing, the truth of my faith was more real than any of that. Do you have any prophet words for us? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee for that, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> we become who we needed as a child. And I think eights do that more brilliantly in some ways than what I've seen in others. I think that what eights bring to the table is this resilience and this refusal to compromise in, in a world that compromises without even realizing it. And I would say that that gets so misunderstood. And I would love to encourage eights to be like, you are going to be misunderstood so much as people may not even understand themselves. But that doesn't mean that you need to change who you are. It means that you just need to keep finding a way to be who you are, where you are, with whoever's around you, and be okay with that. Eights become who they needed, needed as a be. child. That is very, very accurate. I know that that was true for me, just yeah. to become the helper and needing someone to see me is now mean that I look and I, I try to see another person. 
like really see them and listen. And that becomes very dynamic when you start talking about identity and you start being able to encourage someone to be who they are meant to be. There's a pattern in health and unhealth where I think a healthy eight really will grow up, think about what they needed as a child and become that for other people. That's health. But an unhealthy eight says, I'm going to cut off the need I had to begin with. So Mm. I'm going to think about what I needed and I'm going to say, I will never need that again. And that's an unhealthy eight. The self-protection, you know, as honest as an eight is, the one weakness that we have that we have to be so careful is self-deception. Oh, so much denial and so deluded. We're totally honest about everything we see. We believe what we're saying about ourselves, like 100%. So we pass a lie detector test. But meanwhile, it's like 100% not accurate. (laughs) Yes. Which is why our community around us and the people who are willing to love us well are so important. Mm -hmm. So if we're rejecting that, we risk being in self-deception longer than we ever should have been. But when I read that I was an eight, it really, what it did was it made sense. I was like, this is how I'm made. To have the self-revelation and realization of that meant that I could actually change. And that was so hopeful. Did you, like me, feel God's smile when you discovered you were an eight? Almost like he was grinning. I made you that way. I put it in you, kiddo. It was more like a belly laugh. Yes. (laughs) I felt his delight. He was so thrilled that I finally realized it was okay. And I think that somebody needs to hear this. But it was like the Lord bent down and got eye level with little Sarah. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, "I, I pick you. I mean, I think we carry so much kind of shame secretly as kids and we bulldoze our way through the world and people react against us. I think in our most broken, vulnerable places as an eight, if we're really honest, our question that we're asking is, what's wrong with me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Even if we have our dukes up, right? When we take them down and we're really vulnerable and we're crying out, the question is, what's wrong with me? But then as we move out of that and we move towards health and we start to change and and learn how to be who we really are, instead of being this blunt, forced object, we look in how we can help and not be part of the problem, but actually be part of the resolution. Do you have many eights in your life? I do. I have a ton. How does that work? If you were to put us all in a room, it would just fill this grounding concrete force. It would be hilarious as well. When an eight is comfortable, they're funny. And there's, you know, sarcasm and and there's no high offense level. And everybody can just kind of take whatever's being thrown down. And there's this comfortability in the middle of this concrete foundation that is easy to be in. I think that the eights for me, I need them in my life because they remind me of the truth when the lies come sneaking in to say all the things that I used to be yeah. or even never was, Mm -hmm. but was accused of being. There was a point where I pivoted from being too blunt to I overextended to the too nice and too soft. And my eights will pull me back. Yeah. And they'll say, hey, Sarah, you're trying to be too careful there. What a blessing to have a community like that. What would you say God put you here for? 
I do hold a, an office of the prophet. And that means that I'm going to be a truth teller and that I'm going to, as the Lord gives me a word, that that is for me to, to be obedient to and deliver. But if I were to look overall and say, you know, what's going to be attached to me, what's going to be tagged to me, it's I will always always be fighting for people to be truly free to be truly free from fear of man from whatever has them bound up inside i mean from one formerly very bound person who encountered freedom it is truly my desire to see people free from the mm -hmm. things that torment hold them back or tear them down and it's like you can see the nets that bind people in their multifaceted forms. They are never just one thing. And we can't assume we know mm -hmm. until we've been able to really discern what is mm -hmm. true. There's this beautiful opportunity to grow relationship by learning that mm -hmm. rather than um, assuming, but also being able to walk into a room and say, what's the funk? And then discovering and finding out what that is. So it's using both your instincts and your gut and your gifting and your discernment, but then also being able to go slow to meet the person where they're You're at. You're slow to assume, aren't you? I am. I think assumptions can really cause great damage. You've always they been Way, right? I have, but it's because as a child, I didn't talk. I didn't find my voice till later in life. So as a child, people often didn't even know that my family had a third child because I was so quiet. When I found my voice, I had to learn how to use it. So. Do you think your quiet years made you more of an observer? So that kind of fed your um, ability to discern? and Or would you say it was a negative thing that you were silent? You know, I should not have been that silent. I should have been a very vocal, happy, laughing child. And just life and the circumstances of which I was raised in didn't really provide that for me in every circumstance. And so that it would be the negative piece. Mm. But the beautiful thing about trauma when it's transformed is that it becomes our strength and no yeah. longer weakness. And so I would say what I learned in that has been just immeasurably valuable because I'm often told, Sarah, that's not normal. You know that, right? Like what you're seeing, what you're perceiving, what you're able to see, nobody else in the room is seeing that. You're just seeing that. And I forget that because it's so normal for me. I have a heightened sense of being able to see what's happening in the room, what God's doing in the room, what the enemy's doing in the room, and what the people are doing in the room. And in this particular day and age, I bet you it does take a really large dose of discernment to decide what to speak and how and who to speak it to. Yes. And in fact, I was in a work meeting yesterday and I said, you know, when we're, we're invited to the table, it doesn't mean that we just say whatever we want. No, it means that we say what needs to be said. Yeah. And yeah. that's the discernment piece that I hope and wish every eight would lean into. I'm beginning to think that most eights have a prophetic edge. It's something about our intuitive and our truth speaking thing that we have. Yes. And so I have started to talk about it more 
and I'm I'm starting to try and invite <laughs> them to actually figure out what that even means. And well, we're so in our body, right? Yeah. What Lauren said when she was talking about how she was reactive in her body, I so resonated with that. Mm-hmm. When I'm about to speak, when I do speaking, and I'm about to speak to you know hundreds of people and share a word that I've been given, the word is burning so much in my body that it feels like I am about to explode. And I have to go walk beforehand just so that I can get my body calmed down enough to get the words out because it's so, yeah, it's fire. And that's how that manifests in me of just like the passion. It's like, whoa, my body is literally tingling. And people have said, Sarah, you were, you were glowing. Mm-hmm. It's just radiating out of me physically. If the room was full of eights, what would you want to say? Makes me want to cry when I think for such a time as this, for such a time as this, you were created. You were made for such a time as this. Anyone who has wanted to put a heavy wool blanket over you or cover your mouth or tell you to quiet down or to sit down and wait your turn when God has said clearly, I need you to stand up. I need you to step out. I need you to go forward for such a time as this. And God always opens the door wide that man cannot shut. So if you see that door, go for it. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. (laughs) 